So did you hear the one about the dyslexic agnostic insomniac? The dyslexic agnostic insomniac, anyone? He just lay awake at night, wondering if there's a dog. No? Anyone? Okay. Stupid. All right, listen to the word of the Lord. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, following up from last week. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as though you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They are simply human commands and teachings, and they have an in, indeed they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. I'm going to read a little bit further. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. So I've been saying for a while that Jesus died for us, but it seems like many of us haven't really looked deeply enough into the New Testament to let the content of the New Testament change our understanding. The popular version of the gospel is that God is very angry and he demands justice. And so Jesus, who is innocent, was murdered instead of you so that now God's not mad anymore. And that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that sin and death, like a disease, had taken hold of all humans. Jesus doesn't save you from the Father. The Father saves you from sin and death through Jesus. The emphasis in the New Testament is almost equally as much on the resurrection of Jesus as the death of Jesus for you. Did you know he was raised for you? Did you know he was raised as you? Did you know the real you died in the cross, the real you was raised in the resurrection and ascended to heaven, and the real you is seated with Christ in heavenly realms right now in face-to-face fellowship with the Father? The old you died and a new you came to be. I remember years ago, I preached through Ephesians and it blew my mind because the emphasis in Ephesians was so strongly on on union with Christ and being raised up. And I expected that when you were dead in transgressions and sins, Ephesians chapter two, in which you used to live, when you followed the prince of the power of the air, you were dead. And you were an object of God's wrath. 
You were dead in sin. You belonged to the demonic kingdom. You were ruled by a demonic spirit. Everyone's made to be a temple of the Lord, but because we're separated from God, we become temples of other stuff. Every single person worships, period. I don't care if they go to church. Every heart is a temple, and every heart is loving, seeking, fearing, pursuing, trusting in something as their God, right? So everyone is a temple. Now what's in the temple is the question. And so Ephesians 2 says every single one of us was a temple filled with demons, but none of us believed in demons necessarily because selfishness is the image of the devil and self-giving love is the image of God. And since the beginning, when we turned away, we have each of us turned to, what does it say? Each of us has turned to our own way. Did you know your way is the devil's way? Did you know when, when, when Peter gets rebuked by Jesus, he says, this will never happen to you. Jesus, you're not going to be crucified. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, for you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The things that are natural for humans are demonic. That's pretty bold. The normal way to be, let me change that. The average, you caught that. The average, because Jesus is the only normal human, right? The rest of us are weird. The rest of us are the walking dead. It's a dated reference now, but yeah. And so Ephesians says, y'all, we're all dead. But God, because of his great mercy, you expect him to say, Saved you through the cross. But where he goes in Ephesians 2 is, but God, who is rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which he loved us, he raised us up with Christ. He goes straight to the resurrection. And that blew my mind. He also goes straight to the resurrection in chapter 1, which blew my mind. I just, something about carefully letting the Bible speak and letting the Bible edit your theology instead of, because most of us, we, we pretend as Protestants that we don't have tradition. Oh, those Catholics have tradition. Those Greek Orthodox people have tradition, but we're Protestants. We got the word of God. And, but we're steeped in traditions. And so we're bringing our traditions to our Bibles and we don't even realize it. Fish don't know they're wet. And I don't know how much of the Bible I'm actually looking at a word like justification and I'm reading it through the lens of where I came from. Just like Martin Luther, his whole life, every time he would read in the New Testament, in Romans chapter one, he reads that now a righteousness from God has been revealed from heaven. He'd been trained to think the righteousness from God means that God is righteous. And then one day the Holy Spirit illuminated and he realized it was a righteousness that God gives as a gift to those who trust him. And it was like the doors of heaven swung open and he walked through. It was in the book the whole time, but he didn't see it until the Holy Spirit brought him to it. See, this is why I say we have a big, there's a big conversion. The big conversion is out of death into life from selfishness to Jesus, which then begins a process of being converted to Jesus's way of thinking for the rest of our life. Thousands of little conversions along the way. And for me, this, this vision of what happened in the cross, Jesus didn't just die for me, he did but he also died as me. He didn't just rise for me, he did, but he also rose 
as me. Look, if the anger of God is the problem, the resurrection of Jesus is unnecessary. Only the death. But if sin and death is the problem, then in the cross, he takes sin and he takes it down and kills it. And in the resurrection, he, <laughs> he destroys death. He's dealt with the real problem. And for Paul, this is so mind-blowing. What do you mean a crucified Messiah? Everything in Paul from the Bible has convinced Paul through his traditions that this Jesus movement are the bad guys. So he's tirelessly pursuing to put Christians in jail until he encounters Jesus. And then when he encounters Jesus, Jesus completely shifts his whole understanding of the Bible. Okay, I don't want to get too sidetracked because I have a sermon to preach. Just give me a second. Paul becomes a man obsessed with Jesus. He doesn't lower his view of the Old Testament. He completely transforms his interpretation of it. There's folk that grew up in church, just like Paul grew up a Jew, and they never had the encounter with Jesus. It's a system of beliefs. It's a system of thoughts. It's a way of life. Religion is a way of avoiding God. Avoiding hell, avoiding God. Rebellion is a way of avoiding God. Religion is a way of avoiding God. Faith is something different entirely. Faith is the way back to face-to-face -face relationship with God. Faith is the way back to union with God. Faith is the way to have heart-to-heart -heart connection with God where the life of Jesus, who by the way is not, not dead, he's not gone, we're not reading about him, we're actually reading with him. And without him, we can't even see the Bible correctly. Remember the situation in Luke chapter 24, there were, there were two disciples, Jesus has been crucified, they don't know it yet, but he's also been raised and they're taking a walk. They're not, they're not staying in Jerusalem. They're, they're leaving. They're on their way home and all hope is lost. It's really interesting. Sometimes, sometimes God waits till we've given up on our wrong hopes before he allows us to come into a revelation of the real hope. Often in the kingdom, we make the most progress when we feel like we're losing. So these two guys, they're walking along the road and a man comes up to them that they don't recognize. And they're like, what's, and he basically, I'm gonna summarize, okay? It's in Luke 24, if you wanna really do the fact checking later. What are y'all thinking? What are y'all talking about? Oh, you must be the only person in all Jerusalem that doesn't know. Doesn't know what? Oh, about Jesus. Oh yeah, who's that guy? This is funny. Why? Why does the Lord do this? Is this a prank? Why does he show up in disguise, right? Why is he okay with clues? Why does Jesus hide the cookies on the top shelf? Why does he teach in parables? Why does, why does the place where the brightest glory resides from the outside look like thick blackness? Exodus 20. And Moses entered the thick blackness where God dwelt. But isn't God all light? Yes. Why does he like to hide? Is he hiding things from people? Or is he hiding things for people? 
It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of princes to search it out. You confide in those who fear you. Interesting. God will hide from the wise and the learned and the proud, but he will make himself known to the humble and the hungry. He's never hiding it from us. He's hiding it for us. But the cost of entrance is that we have to treasure it in such a way that we'll actually be the kind of people who will first hunt for it, which makes us the very same kind of people who will then take good care of it once we get it. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Let me get, I'll, I'll, get, I'll start the sermon now. That was, that was, I don't know what that was. I don't know what's going on. It's okay. The eye is the lamp of the body. Last time we talked about this and we said, okay, religion doesn't save and religion doesn't transform. It's just our feeble human uh, inevitable attempts to get back to God or to cover our shame, but it's ineffective at actually getting to the root of the issue, which is the heart issue, right? And we talked about the stoicheia, these sort of demonic principles that drive religion both in Jewish legalism and in paganism. So for Paul, dying to that old self, dying to that whole old self includes dying to religion and getting free from the old covenant. Amazing. I, I could say a lot of stuff, but I will, I'll, I'll say it briefly, briefly. Romans 7, the first part of Romans 7, describes why Jesus died to free us from the old covenant. The end of Romans 7 describes how much it stinks to live in that old covenant. And Christians ever since have been reading Romans 7, 14 through 25 as though it were the, a description of the normal Christian life. I don't understand myself because the good I wanna do, I can't do, and the evil I don't wanna do, this I do. I hear Christians, I have heard Christians quoting that my whole life saying, wow, since I relate to that, that must be the normal Christian life. Friends, that is not the normal Christian life. That is why Jesus came. That is a perfect description of a man who is under the law in the weakness of the flesh. That is not a description of what it is like to be under grace in the power of the Spirit that has broken sin through the cross and now the power of the resurrection is giving life to those of us who live in mortal bodies. Romans 8 is the normal Christian life. Romans 6 is the normal Christian life. The end of Romans 7 is a description of why Jesus came and what he came to free us from. If you relate to it, it's because you're in sin or you're under law. But you don't have to stay there. We stumble. We Christians who are saved by grace, sometimes we still walk in the flesh even though we don't need to anymore. Sometimes we go back and resurrect some clothes from our old life that don't fit us anymore. Right? But that's not, that doesn't mean that's who we are. I am so tired of hearing Christians call themselves sinners when the New Testament calls you saints. If you're sinning, there's grace 
for you to repent, be forgiven, fall more in love with Jesus, look into his eyes, form a heart-to-heart connection with him. The whole essence of the new covenant, guys. The reason the old covenant was insufficient was it was never meant to be plan. Let me, okay, let me see if I can say this the right way. I guess I'll just shut my notes. Um, yeah, they already shut themselves. In the beginning, God breathed into dust. And you go, is that literally true or is that a poem? Well, listen, it's literally true of you right now. The scientists will tell you, you are made of stardust. You are a mostly carbon-based life form. And when you die, your body, I'm sorry for this graphic picture, decomposes and becomes dirt again. I'm not lying. But there's something unusual about you. You're much more than dust. You are so much more than dust. It's, it's weird. There was a moment when God formed Adam on the ground. I'm assuming he wasn't levitating. I don't know why that detail matters to me. And there was a moment when he was a body, just a body and not animated yet. And then there was another moment when he became biologically alive. A heart started beating. Blood started pumping. He started breathing. And that moment was when God, what does it say? What does it say in Genesis? Ruach. Wind, breath, spirit, same word. A spirit, what what is your spirit? The spirit is that thinking, self-aware, conscious thing that is immaterial, but resides within that material you. God has a spirit. His spirit is that thinking thing, right? Which is why Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians that you have the mind, or is it 1 Corinthians? Fact check me later. You have the mind of Christ because your spirit knows your thoughts and God's spirit knows God's thoughts. So when, stick with me, I know this is weird. When God has a little claymation exercise and builds a person and then goes, there was more, this is weird. This this is weird. There was more than just physical breath. God took consciousness, his consciousness, his self, and he put a bit of it in this dust. And this dust didn't just start breathing. It started breathing. Heart started beating. It sits up. And then this thing does something unbelievable. You look around the room, you see objects. But there's something different when you see a person. And there's something different when you make eye contact with a person. Because this bench, it's real, but it doesn't know anything, and it doesn't see me. But when I make eye contact with Rusty, and he looks back at me, there's something weird that happens in my heart. I'm being seen. I'm not just seeing. I'm being seen back. And God, God, has this moment with Adam where he breathes his life into him 
And Adam wakes up <gasps> for the first time. And I don't know if it's the first thing he sees, but I imagine it as the first thing he sees is the face of the father. And they make eye contact. And I just want to ask you to imagine for a moment, how does it feel the first time you lock eyes with your own child and they actually know, there's a knowing, not just a physical seeing, but an actual knowing. That had to be a fantastic moment for the father. He has been yearning. He's a father. That's who he is. I don't know what you believe about him. He's love. Perfect love before anything else existed in the whole universe. Perfect love existed. Before anything else existed in the whole universe, perfect love existed. Ephesians 1 says that God predestined Gabe to be adopted into his family through Jesus before he made the universe. Before he made the universe, guys, he thought of you and he wanted you as his child. His fundament, the reason anything exists at all is because God wanted kids. And it's, Jesus is called the lamb who was slain when? Before the foundation. God knows that what he wants is love. He is love and what he wants from us is love. And the only way love can be genuine is if this person he creates is not a machine is not a computer, is not an engine, is not just ones and zeros, it's not just cause and effect. There's this weird thing for love to be real called freedom. And God, knowing love is his goal, puts choice into it, and knowing somebody's gonna choose wrong. Knowing somebody's going to choose wrong, Jesus makes a decision before the universe is made. They're going to walk away, and I'm going after them. Before God creates, he already forgives. Listen, the garden's not plan A, the Old Testament law plan B, and Jesus plan C. You are plan A. You redeemed through Jesus is plan A. The law was part of plan A. Everything God did in the Old Testament was part of plan A. Everything was always headed toward Jesus. Everything was always headed towards grace. Everything was always headed toward reconciliation. All the animal sacrifices, all the covenants, all the promises fulfilled in Jesus because he's not an afterthought and you're not an afterthought. At the foundation of everything, before anything existed, there was love. Perfect love. Love incomprehensible. Love beyond anything you could possibly take in fully, although you can take it in partially, and you can take it in really. We say God is infinite. What does that mean, right? Without limit. We say he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's, he's omnipresent. We're just trying here. If you can think it, it's not God. 
So take your furthest thoughts, take your deepest thoughts, take your most profound exercise of explanations of how good he could be. Travel out as far into the the reaches of your imagination and find, find how good he could be. And he's better than that. Half of what the Holy Spirit's been doing for 2,000 years is trying to strip the lies off of humanity, including religious humanity. The split second we meet him, we start to equate our thoughts about him with him. The first command is don't. Guys, have no other gods before me. The second is like it. Don't make graven images. And we've been making graven images in our mind ever since. Right? He makes us in our image and humanity repays the favor by remaking him in our image. We idealize our own sense of what is right and throw it up on him. And then often resent it. Often resent it. So much evil we've done in his name and misrepresented him. So much to strip off. And Jesus says, if you don't see it in me, it isn't him. If you don't see it in Jesus, it's not him. A lot of this is, we haven't always known this. God is love. Oh, really? Yes. Has he always been love or did he get really in a good mood lately? No, he's always been love. Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is what God has always been like. Jesus is what God will always be like. And Jesus is what God is like everywhere. We haven't always known this. But now we do. So Paul grew up with a Bible blind. So Jesus blinded him on the road so he'd see. I love the poetry. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve disconnected from the source. Instantly they said, God must be angry at me, and they, and they, and they ran away. And then they carefully constructed fig leaves and tried ah, ah, to approach. And we've been doing that ever since. And this gospel that I don't believe that I preached at the beginning about an angry God who killed Jesus so that he could forgive you, that comes from those fig leaves. He showed up on schedule as though they hadn't sinned, though he knew they did, because that's who he is. Sin didn't change God. It changed us. The reason the cross saves you from the wrath of God is not by paying for the wrath of God, but by transforming you away from the demonic creature who belongs in the lake of fire into his son again. The wrath was never meant for you. The the lake of fire was never created for you. It was only created for the devil and his angels. And you only go there if you continue to participate in that service, in that kingdom, in that realm. Well, then why did Jesus have to die? He had to die to get sin off of you. He had to die to kill the power of sin. Sin is a living entity. It wants to dwell within you. It wants to take hold of you. It's a parasite. It has a will. Romans 7, 20, Paul says, it's no longer I who does it. It's sin living in me. See, you're a temple. Don't tell me Romans 7, 20 is the normal Christian life. Galatians 2.20 is the normal Christian life. See, it's no longer I 
It's Christ living in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. What does, this, what does it mean for Paul? He's given up on all these other agendas to know Jesus, and his understanding of Jesus is dominated by love. The rule thing doesn't change the heart. It's impressive, and it'll get a crowd. You'll sell books, and you'll, you'll pack out conferences, but it will not transform because you have to make the tree good in order for the fruit to be good. And the way you make the tree good is you engraft. Did you know every, every apple has a bunch of different seeds in it? And every seed from every apple will produce a tree. If you planted, if you planted apple seeds from a gala apple, you would not get a gala tree. You'd get bitter, nasty crab apples. The way they get gala apples is they found the original tree and they cut off branches and they grafted them into a sapling because only the original gala tree will produce gala apples. You and I are like that. The way to make the tree good is to have the nature of Christ grafted into you, not for you to copy him, not for you to emulate him, not for you to get religious and get more rules about him and figure out what you believe about him. No, no, no. To relate to him, to put your trust in him, to fall in love with him and receive from him a whole new and perfect relationship with God. And then the whole rest of the Christian life is upgrading your thinking to the covenant you've been qualified for without your doing. He's qualified. He's put you in the perfect affections of the father. Remember when Jesus said this, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What kind of love must the Father have toward Jesus? What kind of affection must God the Father feel towards Jesus the Son? I don't think there's a greater love in all the universe than the love the Father feels towards Jesus the Son. And there's no greater love. There's no greater romance. That's not the right word for it, but I'm grasping for words here. There's no greater romance in the universe than the relationship between Jesus and the bride. This, this, this faith that we have is so dominated by love. It's so dominated by love that Paul says, I'm praying for you guys that the eyes of your heart might be opened to what? To love, to the dimensions of love, to the depths of love. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit, for the power of the resurrection to do what? to give you an encounter with love. Because I know that if you'll continue to have the, the, the life-changing, identity-forming, there's something about being named by your father. There's, every little boy wants his daddy to, to, to name him, to train him, and to be proud of him, to be pleased with him. I don't care how old you are. If, I don't care if your dad was a worthless piece of garbage. You still wish he loved you and you still wish he was proud of you. It's actually weird how strong that is in us humans. And in Jesus, he ushers us because we're in him. We've been raised up with him. We've been brought right into the presence of the most holy God. And in the presence of the most holy God, we go, oh man, I don't think I belong here. And he says, nonsense, I made you clean. What do you think that was all about? Don't diminish my sacrifice, boy. You ain't here because you deserve it. You're here because you're worth it. And if you don't know the difference between those two words, 
We need to start over at the beginning of the gospel. Just because you don't deserve it doesn't mean you're not worth it. What's, what's the, how, do you, how do you set the value of something? You set the value with which, what somebody's willing to pay for it. Come on, y'all watch that show. They all bring their old garbage in and sometimes they hit a jackpot. What? Antiques Roadshow? Well, this old thing, we found it lying in an old Biera. Well, that is George Washington's gun. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Girl, you rich, <laughs> you know? And we, we often think of our, this is so interesting. Paul says, the, the people who seem to get it, the gospel that is, they're the very people the world does not value. Not many were wise, not many were smart, not many were well put together because there's something about this love of Jesus that those of us who know we need a new life, we're the ones who seem to treasure him the most. The ones who think, I've lived a good life, I like my life, my life's good, I don't need to change. Those other people though, they're a mess. Those are the folk that don't tend to love Jesus much, which is weird, right? Yeah, but they're the ones quoting the Bible the most. I know, but self-righteousness absolutely blinds us. This is not where I thought we were going today, but I like it. See, at the center, I, 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 I don't know, I'm just, I'm gripped by this thing, you guys. At the center of the universe is a love so warm, so real, so strong, that, that it's really hard to understand how anybody who could taste it wouldn't want more. And like God is willing, this is crazy to me. God is willing to watch us drink, eat, chase unsatisfying lesser false gods. His wrath in Romans 1 is funny. You know what God's wrath is in Romans 1? When you reject him, he lets you have your way. It's funny, like he doesn't just be like lightning bolts smiting you. Oh, I can't believe you did that. His wrath is like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you get your way. It's funny. The, 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 the worst thing God could say to someone is may your will be done when your will isn't him. Which is why the beginning of wisdom is saying, may your will be done, Father. And everything flows from that foundation. And when we get off that foundation, we get in trouble fast, don't we? All righty. I got like a lot more I really want to say, but there's more Sundays coming. Love, man. If your faith isn't dominated by love, then we definitely need to pray. (laughs) If your understanding of God isn't dominated by love. See, the whole story of the Bible is there's a, There's a father who wants a family. Let's stand. Let's do some repeat after me's. I would like if you would close your eyes and put your hands out as if to receive. Father, I receive your love. Father, receive my life. I receive Jesus. I receive your truth. 
I receive that I'm forgiven. I receive that I'm holy. I receive that I'm pure. I receive you, Jesus, inside. Oh, I guess you guys are going to make that noise too if I do that. That's funny. That is funny. I went shh, and other people go shh. Oh, amen, amen, amen. <laughs>